Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. My mic looks enormous. Oh yeah. Why is that? <laughs> uh, it's a camera trick. It's you, you don't have a bigger mic than me. <laughs> yeah. It sure looks that way. It's making me blush. Yeah. Ooh boy. Well, we're. Um, doing a video code 47 again today so if you're mm-hmm. just listening you're really missing out on like at least 10 or 11 percent more fun that you could be having yeah if you're following this on youtube as well that's an important amount yeah yeah sometimes that's the amount that makes the difference right it's true yeah captain i'm sorry to disturb you i'm receiving a code 47 verify it is code 47 sir start lead emergency frequency captain's eyes only we got a bunch of stuff in our P.O. box. Uh, I thought I'd start. We have a postcard here, Adam. How about that? Just a simple postcard. This kind of reminds me of the work of uh, our buddy Aaron Reynolds of F and Birds. It's a crow or some kind of corvid saying kapla. <laughs> well, he clearly needs to make Klingon birds. Yeah, no kidding. As a side project goes like this. Ben and Adam, I'm not usually one for unsolicited fan letters, but I couldn't think of better people to send this card to. I bought it directly from the creator at a craft show in Crozet, Virginia. She was so pleased that there was at least one other person to get it. There are dozens of us. Hmm. Love the show. Listen since ep one. Great job. Both of you. Thanks for all the Ben laughs. Oh, I see. Thanks for all the laughs, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> because it's from uh, from Ben L. in Crozet, Virginia that sent this. Crozet, you say? Yeah. Spelled C-R-O-W-S-I-T? C-R-O-Z-E-T. Oh, okay. No W in there. All right. So it's not an all-crow-themed letter. I see. But thank you, Ben, for sending that in. Hey, that's nice. I like getting postcards. I like sending postcards. Yeah. Uh, this next one is from... Mr. Nicholas C. in Los Angeles, California. Looks like this may have come from the neighborhood I used to live in. Uh Uh-oh. It's all the crap you left behind in your office. All right, here's a letter. Dear Ben and Adam, I know this little item isn't as flashy as the ones you typically get from FOTs, but it's heartfelt nonetheless. I saw this vintage button from the Wrath of Khan at the Venturi County Fair of all places. Instantly, I knew it had to be in your possession, having attended Greatest Gen Con back in the day at the Bootleg Theater in L.A. Mm. That was a great show. Anyway, now you have the proper chest attire, Ricardo Montalban's enormous eye-watering pecs, that is, to wear when you feel you need to say, or, it is very cold in space. (laughs) By the way, how did he learn all those Klingon proverbs in galactic locations like... Perdition's Flames while marooned on SETI Alpha 5. I didn't see a 23rd century almanac on the Botany Bay bookshelf. His is a superior intellect. He doesn't need all those books. (laughs) (laughs) Love the pod. Been listening since the boy wasn't allowed on the bridge. Keep serving up the dick and fart jokes and looking forward to you guys roasting and loving Enterprise. Captain Nicard. So uh, here is the gift in question. Wow. 
That looks great. That is beautiful. Yeah. It is, yeah, an official vintage 1982 button. I think I'll, I'll put it on for the rest of the show. What do you say? I like that. Yeah. Maybe it'll give you special podcast co-host powers. And then there's a second letter that says, to be read later, offline. Sounds spicy. Oh, okay. Moving up in size, this one comes from Starfleet Physical Fitness in St. Peter, Minnesota. I (laughs) was shocked as anyone to learn that that's where Starfleet Physical Fitness's uh, headquarters are. Oh, Starfleet Physical Thickness is located in Harry Kim's pants. And your mom? Very proud. (laughs) No letter, as far as I can tell. Oh, wait, there is. There's like an internal bag here, so I didn't see the letter at first. Oh, that makes me nervous. Be careful over there. Jim Shimoda. Bro, do you even stack? Wow. Dear Ben and Adam, I run the replicators over at Jim Shimoda. We've been upgrading them lately, banging out some advanced isolinear chips. I wanted to send a few along in recognition of Adam's Peloton rides and the amount of workout stacks Ben must be doing lifting to Roan. Mm-hmm. There are some from each of the last few months, including the five-year anniversary chip. Unfortunately, the upgrades were based on Borg technology and the nanoprobes took over my replicator. That accounts for the most recent chip produced. You'll know which one it is. Thanks for all you've done. Without the pod, the Jim Shimoda community wouldn't have come together. Best place on the internet. Sincerely, Chief Very Petty Officer Jeff mm-hmm. Ford. <laughs> feel like that would be my rank, too. Yeah, no kidding. So we've got a bunch of isolinear chips here. Got like a kind of cool tie-dye effect. Oh, that looks isolinear great. Isolinear chip. Similar in like a blue and yellow kind of a murdered out <laughs> isolinear chip here. Those look like they're of great quality. Oh, here are, here are the Borg's chips. Yep. Strangely generalized in their design. Yeah. And then some laser cut wood isolinear chips here. Oh yeah, if you time travel back to the wood era, oh yeah. You're going to want the wood version. I'm pretty sure that Data made some some of his equipment using wood isolinear chips in that yeah. episode where he went back to old-timey San Francisco, right? Yeah. Wow, those are great. Really cool. Some of the best-looking isolinear chips I've ever seen. Yeah. Really cool. The writer mentioned my Peloton rides, and I've been getting a lot of invitations to become friends from FODs on the platform. Yeah. And cool. I've been denying every one of them. What? <laughs> because I you, I don't know, it feels too close to have a bunch of strangers know when I work out and, and all that. <laughs> so for whatever reason, I've, I've denied every friend request from someone that I don't know. But... I'll just let everyone know that I mostly ride on Saturday morning in Alex's Club Bangers ride. Like, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll ride all of his live rides as much as possible. So if you ever want to ride together, that's how you can find me. And you can find other FODs using the Jim Shimoda hashtag on Peloton. And then the other time you ride is when we have a Coco No-No scheduled right before that. Exactly. Usually. Yeah, yeah, that's almost my favorite time to ride. Like, you know for two months sometimes that it's coming up and instead you schedule your Peloton thing. It's true. Yeah. 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 Hmm. That's what I do. Okay. Those are my priorities. Slightly bigger package here. This one's from Joseph R. in Fort Worth, Texas. There's a letter. 
This must be to us. It says Ben and Adam right there. It's a card. Ah. It says, thank you for shining a light for me in the dark. Very sweet. Dear Ben and Adam, Peldor Joy from Fort Worth, Texas. I was one of the lucky few able to see the Picard finale on IMAX in Dallas this week. Wow. Big Rod slash Daddy Paramount gifted each guest with a free drink and branded popcorn bucket. Unsure if y'all would be able to attend in L.A., I nabbed two extra in hopes that they might ease any GoFobo-inflicted wounds. Oh, GoFobo's the fucking yeah. Mickey Mouse company that, that ran that. Yeah. Right. One of the worst vendors for such a thing that there could ever be. I thought that, there, like, for some reason, I thought that that was, like, some kind of new twist on FOMO that I was uh, unfamiliar with. <laughs> They should just call their company Mo because you're missing out if you <laughs> if you want to work with them in order to see anything. <laughs> I'm sure I speak with a Borgs-like voice for many in the collective when I say thank you for bringing joy and laughter to all of the friends of DeSoto. In lieu of seeking out some fun popping corn, I wanted to toss a few scarves your way for the next factory trip, Joseph. And Joseph has in indeed included a gift card to the Cheesecake Factory. Fantastic. Which will definitely help us uh, record our next hit Cheesecake Factory podcast, Factory Seconds. Very cool. And uh, has also included these uh, popcorn buckets. These are like still folded up, unsullied by previous popcorn. Look at that. Amazing. They look great. Yeah. There's one for you and one for me. I'm really glad you sent those. Thank you. Yeah, we really, we really tried to get into yeah the uh, IMAX screening of the finale, and it's true. didn't get to go. Yeah, and it was very disappointing, and we both had really bad gofobo over it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Final two packages, Adam. This next one is from Ben P of Silver Springs, Maryland, and it's to you and me. I really like the way it's wrapped up. Letter. Dear Ben and Adam, I've been a Max Fun member, bought a P1, but it's finally time for me to engage in one of my favorite parasocial relationships with some stuff. I came a little late to your show, jumping into TGD first because I was desperate to hear someone else's thoughts on new Star Trek. I've dug what you guys bring from the first few minutes. But it really blew up for me when I discovered the community of fans hanging out on the Drunk Shmota Discord. There's something about what you guys do that attracts just the best people. Myself excluded, I kind of suck. <laughs> Anyways, it went from a podcast I enjoy to one of the few things keeping me positive while becoming a parent a year into an insane pandemic. I've been wanting to show my appreciation with a Code 47 for a while now, but I had no idea what to send. As much as I love Trek, and it's a lot... I've never really collected many Trek goodies except for a mortifying quantity of tie-in novels. But inspiration struck. For Adam, you'll find an enclosed trailer reel. Some time ago, an episode or two, you guys discussed a collection of trailers, and I remembered I had this one just sitting and following me from apartment to apartment to house for 20 years. A buddy in college gave it to me as a gag, and here was a perfect opportunity to pay it forward in a fun way. For Ben, okay, for Darone, I've thrown in a fun piece of baby clothes. It's 18-month size, so hopefully I have gotten around to shipping this in time that it will fit. You have. I think that's basically the perfect size for Darone right now. Oh, great. 
as a fellow Ben and fellow recent dad who was honored to have his own son, also dubbed Darone in a P1, a gift for the kiddo seemed like the only choice. Hope you guys enjoy the swag. Thanks for giving me so many hours of joy and helping the FOD, FSOD, find each other. Mm. That's from Ben P, a.k.a. Pit Blaster on the DrunkShimoda.com Discord. And uh, this is the reel of 35 millimeter film, Adam. Do you want to guess what trailer this is for before I reveal it to the camera? God, 20 years ago. I don't know. I'm just going to guess that's a teaser trailer due to its size. Okay. The actual full-length trailers are going to be a little bit bigger. Yeah. So maybe it's a teaser trailer for Star Trek Generations? That would be wrong, Adam. Snakes on a plane. For snakes on a plane. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> I got to say, we got to get this motherfucking teaser on a motherfucking projector. Yeah. Yeah, we have quite a nice preview collection that I've always wanted to to actually play for real. Oh, man, and this is great. This is a little uh, onesie mm-hmm. in the style of one of my favorite data moments. That's great. Star Trek Generations. Fun. That's cute. Can't wait to cover both of those gifts with feces. <laughs> uh, thank you, Ben, and congrats on becoming a dad final package here. It's from Marcus N. in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. There's a box in here on top that says this is packing material, LOL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Boxes make the best packing material, I guess. Got a letter. Dear Adam and Ben, it's tough to express how much your podcast has provided a constant happy presence in my life. Something I could look forward to twice which is crossed out once every week. Mm-hmm. I've been listening since about episode 10, and I haven't dared miss one. Your voices were a mainstay of my morning walk to lab during grad school and have stayed my favorite morning commute ritual for several years post-PhD defense. Wow. However, I have noticed you have been precariously zipping through the Trek cosmos without a guide and without proper safety precautions. To prevent an accidental slip into celestial fungal purgatory, I have enclosed the following two living tardigrades lovingly collected from some pond water and desiccated onto a microscope slide please keep these handy in case you need to traverse the mycelial network you will notice under the protective cover slip is a splotchy white area this is where the tardigrades are sleeping earth tardigrades are unfortunately microscopic but famously hardy they are technically dead while in a state of cryptobiosis but can spring back to life when given water I handpicked them under the microscope, moved them to the slide, and allowed them to dry completely. This ceases most, if not all, biological processes until such time as they are rehydrated. They potentially can last in this stasis mode for decades. Wow. All the best, Marcus. Hey, Marcus, thanks for sending us a white smear on a slide with an explanation. Yeah, amazing. (laughs) So Marcus actually includes their... Twitch profile, which has video of them isolating and putting these tardigrades on the slides. So uh, the full video is on youtube.com slash at drnphd. So drnphd. And the video is February 26, 2023, Microscope Sunday with tardigrades. And it starts 
at roughly an hour and 40 minutes into the video. So, all right. A long video, it sounds like. Yeah. Let's check these bad boys out. Oh, man, they're framed. Whoa. This is incredible. How about that? Wow. It is as he's described. There is a little white splotch in there. <laughs> we should go to the YouTube video and make sure that it isn't just a video of a guy coming on <laughs> a... On a... Uh, what do you call this? A microscope slide? Yeah. Don't send us your cum, okay? <laughs> it occurs to me that, like... The way the slide looks is not super dissimilar from the way an isolinear chip looks. Yeah, you're right. Incredible. You're right about that. Somebody should do that, you know? I feel like people that work in labs would appreciate an isolinear chip-themed microscope slide. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Am That'd I stupid very to think? No. That would sell like a ton. That's not the reason you're stupid at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to put a little plaque under this that says definitely not come and hang it on my wall uh thank you so much marcus yeah very cool marcus wow and thank you to everybody that sent stuff in and thanks to everybody that uh watched yeah we really appreciate it it's fun to do these it is uh if you've got stuff you would like to send to us for some reason just slide into the dms on our greatest trek social media handles and uh bill tilly is waiting to vet whatever crazy crap you, <laughs> you want to get rid of. Think of how many white smudges Bill has seen over the years. Yeah. And you let that one through. You let this Good one. job, Bill. <laughs> you let us receive this one yeah. for some reason. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this was super fun. But we've got an episode of Star Trek to talk about today, Adam. Sure do, Ben. And it's uh, not nearly as fun as the Code 47 segment we just did. <laughs> it is very, very serious business on Star Trek Voyager Season 6, Episode 14, Memorial. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> so we got the Delta Flyer coming back from a dilithium milk run. Yeah. And on board... You can see how disheveled everyone is, based almost solely from their hair. There seems to be a shower pressure problem on board the flyer. Yeah. And it's made everyone a little impatient with each other. Harry Kim definitely not handling this very well relative to the others, I would say. Too much togetherness for you, Harry? I lasted 22 minutes. Also, clean up your fucking dirty plate, Tom Paris. Yeah. This is close quarters. What are you, Sam Kirk? Yeah. It's a biohazard. Take it easy. Clean your mess. Yeah, it seems like it. They are looking so forward to getting home. And out the window, they see the Voyager ready to receive them. For some reason, when they see the Voyager out the window, I was like, oh man, something's going to be fucked up with Voyager. Didn't it seem like that? This doesn't ever usually go that well, yeah. the return from a mission. <laughs> I think what it did was recall the episode where, you know, Picard stuck his hand in the bowl of fruit and grew long fingernails. I was thinking about that a lot. And I think it was just like seeing the ship out the window puts you ill at ease. But uh, they come aboard and they're very happy to be there. Despite how bad he must smell, Tom gets a big smooch from Balana. Yeah, that's nice. Welcome home. Yeah. You should go away more often. She likes his smells. Yeah. She nasty. <laughs> the doctor makes it clear that it's protocol to do a physical 
when you're on a two-week mission, but everyone turns it down. Yeah. They're too tired for that. After almost losing the doctor in the last episode, people are not like super enthused that they have opportunities to get medical procedures done. <laughs> They're like, fuck you, or we want showers. We'll do it tomorrow. You go through this scene thinking it's just a classic doctor ball kicking. But like after you watch the whole episode, I think you recognize just what a significant moment this was. Yeah. Because if they all had done their full physical after the mission, I think the doctor would have revealed something was up here. Yeah. I mean, assuming memory engrams are part of the scan. Yeah. When uh, Tom and Polana make it back to Tom's quarters, she has a great surprise for him. She has replicated a standard definition television. (laughs) And a glass table. (laughs) She's really got redecorator confidence here, doesn't she? Yeah. I got a framed photograph for you one time as a gift, and it's maybe the most nervous I've ever been giving a gift aside from, like, the ring I used to propose to my wife with. (laughs) Wow, what? Come on. Because, like, art is, like, something you hang on a wall. It's, like, very, very personal what people select to hang on their walls. And I I was nervous giving this that it was like, ah, like, what if I went to all this trouble and it's not for him, you know? We love that thing. And it was very thoughtful. We we hung it up immediately. You got us a nice framed photograph of an agave plant. Yeah. Very cool. Very nice. It's a beautiful photograph. And uh, I, I just had a hunch, and BLT just had a hunch, that an oldie-timey television set with a bunch of oldie-timey television shows for Tom to watch would be just the thing. And uh, he kind of well actuallys her when she hands him the TV remote. Uh, There were no remote controls in the 1950s. I took a little poetic license. But they get past this, you know. (laughs) The moment you're given a gift is not the time to well actually the gift. You got to save that part for later, right? Unless your name is Adam Conover, it's never the time to well actually. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor BLT has given a great and thoughtful gift, and it has immediately rendered her invisible, such as the quality of the gift. Like Paris is fully involved with this thing, mm-hmm. to the exclusion of anything else in the room, including her. Oh, cartoon! Classic blunder. If my wife gave me a, you know, 10,000 Lego piece set for a present, you know, it would blow up in her face. I would love it, but she wouldn't. (laughs) She clearly wants to fuck though, right? Yeah. And Paris isn't trying to hear that at all. He'd rather fuck this television. Yeah. (laughs) Like he's as disinterested in her as he was that time he got a spaceship he wanted to fuck. It's true. And later that night, Paris is up late watching TV. Yeah. And the channel stuck on some science fiction show. I'd never be able to get away with this. Too many guns and loud things on the TV at night before bed. That doesn't really work for us. Yeah. I like the edit of this because he's watching The Untouchables and it's like a bunch of Tommy guns and then like suddenly it's ray guns, but like I had to I had to rewind it. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's nicely done yeah. in sequence. And it's, uh, yeah, it's sci-fi combat. BLT has already fallen asleep. And Tom is like, oh, I was, I was watching Untouchables. I want that back. And he can't get the channel to change. 
And he's like whacking the side of the TV. And then he sees himself on screen. Yeah. Uh-oh. Can you imagine? A TV show with Tom Paris in it? Who would watch that? Am I making any sense here? Are we sure it's Tom Paris? <laughs> Maybe it's the leader of Red Squad in there. Oh, yeah. Could be. Those guys look almost identical. Yeah, what side of his chest is he wearing his combatch? <laughs> so he, like, cannot wrap his mind around this, and pretty soon he's just in it. Like, we're not in black and white anymore. We're in actual nighttime footage of Tom Paris in his Starfleet uniform running around. Like, you hear ceasefire a bunch of times, but nobody is ceasing firing, and he gets winged by phaser fire and then he wakes up and he's like kind of writhing on the floor of the apartment while the Tommy gun battle on the television rages on. It's so interesting that he doesn't blame the TV for this. I thought initially this would be a, is this a magic TV (laughs) type of moment? (laughs) No one blames the TV. Yeah. TV is untouchable as it were. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Thanks. Over in a Jeffrey's tube, Harry Kim is hard at work. He didn't take any time off after the mission. He's up in it again. And as he's up in one of these tubes, he gets a war flashback very similar to what Tom Paris experienced. And it makes him all wobbly. Yeah. And he starts crawling the hell out of there. But he can barely make it to the door. And the door itself is all glowy and weird. He finally makes it to the other side, but he's he's out of breath and he's sweating. Yeah. This is all audio hallucination. I guess like the, the room like kind of looks like it's warping a little bit. So yeah. yeah. semi-audio visual. But yeah, he gets to the door and that, you know, solves the problem temporarily, but he checks himself right into six bay and is being told by the EMH that he's been working super long, stinky hours mm-hmm. on his Delta Flyer mission, he's probably just totally worn out and he had a panic attack because the stress got to him. When you're around someone who doesn't put their dirty dishes away long enough, (laughs) you eventually reach a breaking point. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened here. Very sad to see. Yeah. Of course it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Neelix's knife skills really makes Cisco look like he has his shit together when he cuts vegetables. What exactly is he trying to do with that tuber? (laughs) Because if you were going to make potato skins and he's just like cutting (sighs) the peel of this thing as something to Uh fill up later, I can sort of get that. But the way he cuts it is as if he's cutting for that sort of recipe, but he's also chopping the knife into it later. I was bracing for him chopping a finger off in this scene. Like, it really seemed like that's where they were going based on what he is doing with this knife. You gotta cut your me's in equal proportion so they cook evenly. (laughs) Don't you understand? You're gonna chip a tooth out there. This kitchen is filthy. Clean it up or I won't fix your bar. Covered in blood. Poor Naomi is in there. It's a scary sight. That is a giant knife also. Naomi wants some vegetables to do some kind of like 
craft project, I guess. And she's also just like down kind of at knife level in this way that feels really charged and dangerous. She's also at stove flame level. When she reaches her hands up to touch the lid of the pot, I'm not confident she can even see it. Yeah, she's way up over top of her head and she burns her hand on the lid of the pot and she's like, oh, oh, man, almost got myself. And Neelix is like, ah, we gotta get you to six bay. This is how fucking dangerous. Are you okay? Yeah, Neelix is in the full-blown flashback with her right now. Yeah. She's upset by the burned hand, but not as upset as he is. Yeah, he is having a full meltdown. Like, in Naomi's mild burn on her hand. Seems like Neelix is really glimpsing the nemesis. Yeah. Let me see your hand. I'm okay. Your hand! Yeah, and it seems like it's the same way for Chakotay. He's back in the war zone. Yeah. Which I guess we should describe a little bit. It's like a nighttime forest scene where this battle is raging, and Chakotay's there, and it's just chaos. It's totally chaotic. It's really hard to see, like, who's shooting who. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the other Starfleets are are there with him, and they're just kind of, like, firing blindly into the woods and chasing people. And, you know, some of the people that are getting shot definitely don't have guns. And so, like, Chicote is, like, trying to help one of them and, you know, provide a little bit of battlefield medicine. And the guy's like, fuck you. <laughs> I don't like you. I don't want you to help me. They do a good job of teasing that out, right? Like, it's not groups of olds and kids gathered together being executed. They're like these separate and distinct moments interspersed among the other battle scenes. Yeah. It's pretty effective to sow confusion. Yeah. We learn the name Savdra. He's the one in command. And Chakotay runs to this Savdra character who's like in a tent and he's like, hey, man, like, we got to knock this off. These people are civilians. And Sabra's like, yeah, but they're fucking shooting at us, man. Yeah. Like, they're civilians with particle weapons of their own. Tuvok is the alarm clock here, waking up Chakotay with news of a security breach in the mess hall. You know, classic, sexy, voiced wake-up call guy. Yeah. Commander, please respond. Go ahead. And, uh... <laughs> Chicote goes down to the mess hall, which Neelix has turned into a hostage situation. Chicote is the only one that can talk Neelix down because he drops the name of the Nakan and, and mm-hmm. mentions Savdra and all these hallucination specifics are enough to convince Neelix that the battle is over and that he can like come out peacefully and uh, he doesn't need to waste everybody that's coming for Naomi. Yeah. So that's nice. It helps to speak the language. <laughs> Gets right through to, to Neelix. At least enough to persuade him to let Naomi go and then give over the dustbuster. Yeah. So um, with this, you know, disruption in the safety of the ship, they start to take all of this a little bit more seriously. And now Chicote and Neelix and the captain are down in Six Bay talking about this and... The doctor's like, yeah, like you have actual memories of the things that that you're describing. These are not hallucinations, not dreams. You're remembering shit as though it actually happened to you. Yeah. And it's the whole group of them, everyone who was on the mission. Yeah. 
And the captain's like, all right, well, we've seen a couple of Star Trek episodes. Like, what could this be? Like, <laughs> we should, uh, like, go maybe see what's up with the planets that you visited on your little milk run. Is this like the McDuff episode? <laughs> Our memories have been tampered with before. That seems to be the connection, though. It's dangerous for those involved, but it seems pretty safe for the rest of the ship at right. this moment in time. They're being contained. And uh, so they get everybody together in a McLaughlin group. Issue one. That has these memories. Everybody that was on the mission, plus the EMH and the captain, they do kind of like a group remembering session. And it also reminded me a little bit of schisms. Exactly. The gist of the feeling of what they went through. Like, like they have the emotions of the memories a lot more vividly than they do the specifics of the memories. Yeah, and, and the dialogue baton passing of the scene really evoked that feeling too. Yeah. So they've got the name of the Nakan. They've got the name of the commander that gave the orders, Commander Savdra. They have some general idea that the Nakan were civilians, that they went and, like, were supposed to, like, temporarily move, but wound up just, like, mowing them all down. And so, like, they all have this feeling of, like, terrible guilt. This thing that was supposed to be just, like, a peaceful military operation turned into an absolute slaughter. Yeah, the peaceful relocation of a people who may or may not have wanted to go along with it. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> People who are in enclosures, according to the soldiers involved, <laughs> were doing a move. And uh, the last enclosure they came upon didn't have any of the colonists inside. And that's pretty sus. Mm -hmm. But these memories are pretty mid. Yeah. They don't have super duper clear connections but uh, eventually we do like cut to like a meeting in the pup tent where uh, commander savdra is kind of giving them the their marching orders and you know it seems like innocent enough like don't provoke them this is like not supposed to be a violent interaction we don't want any casualties we're just moving them temporarily and then they can go back you know, like, do whatever you can to reassure them. Chicote's like, if it's not going to be a big deal, then certainly we can get a little shut-eye first, right? And this is the moment where the viewer turns on Savdra. By not letting Chicote and the troops sleep when they really need it the most? What the fuck? Come on, man! What are you doing? Yeah. You can't skip lunch. You just can't, guys. It's when I turned on my baby recently. I was like, hey, man. If you could stay asleep for, you know, until like 9 a.m., that would really be great. Yeah. The boy. Didn't work. That's why you're afflicted with the PTSD yeah. that we're having to edit out of this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I've been kind of huddling in the corner periodically throughout the episode. I've got to get that latinum. Put your latinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that latinum. Nine, just gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name and not a giant social media company's name with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. 
With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Back in the war zone, we see the shooting pop off and we see even more of the chaos that precipitated this moment. And there's a bunch of argument about who is to blame for this. Right. There's sort of a fog of war thing where they don't really know what started the shooting, but when the colonists start like panicking and running everywhere, they start, you know, shooting people who are running away Mm -hmm. and 
you do see some of the soldiers go down, but you don't ever see a colonist with a gun. Yeah. You can't really see where the shooting's coming from. It's hard to identify where and why this is happening. Yeah, like the one time you can see the source of one of the shots, you see these kind of like concentric rings of just like the shape of a person. But, you know, like you just see the jungle through the the rings, you know? Right, right. And Chakotay really comes in handy with this because uh, he stands completely still. (laughs) And then the pan flute starts to play. Sounds great. Yeah. He sort of gets what's happening in this part of the jungle in a way that that the others can't understand. Yeah. He, He just wants them to get to the chopper. Yeah. Get to the chopper! Kim describes sort of panicking and and running out of there and finding himself in this very like long low Star Trek cave and he's like you know he's like belly crawling through this tunnel and finds himself in a wider space where there's like a a kettle on a on a burner still hot which indicates to him that whoever left it might still be close by and then there's like a lady and an old man you know, who've been hiding in this cave. Don't you think this was secretly so much fun for Garrett Wong to do to kick over that pile of boxes? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That looked like so much fun. I wonder how many takes he had. (laughs) It's like, I want to do it one more time. Really feel like I could put a little bit more mustard on that. You don't get to do that. Yeah. He didn't even have to buy those crates at auction. They sent him home with those. So Kim is lost in these caves and he demands directions out of the tunnels. And when the dude in the back makes a move, Kim has to get it on. Had to get it on. (laughs) (laughs) And he kills the dude and then kills the lady because at that point, what's the difference? Yeah, he doesn't hesitate. And at the end of this story, Chakotay finally comes out with it. They killed everyone, all 82 of them. Is that all? (laughs) 82, you say? I mean, I'd get a pretty good night's sleep after 82. I I might not have become a total pacifist if it was only 82. Killing 82 people is like stepping on an ant to me. It's very insignificant. Nakan, that's Nakan not a lot of people to kill. (laughs) Why don't you just get over it? <laughs> PTSD? How about having a nice cup of PTSD with me and my wife, Rashan? PTSD is an alt to that? <laughs> I mean, we're workshopping it here. We're workshopping here. No bad ideas, people. How about I make you a Shavdra fuckdoll? <laughs> that you can play with until you feel better. You can punish him instead of punishing yourself. (laughs) So the plan was to take Voyager back to the spot where the Delta Flyer was, sort of retracing its steps. And the Voyager has arrived and is sort of scanning for whatever might have happened here. They can't really find anything. BLT pays Tom a visit and he's kind of like tossing and turning on the couch in his quarters She's got a new isolinear chip with some new programs for the television. And he well actually is her again about a home video didn't really become widespread until 
you know, a few decades later than the 1950s. And she's like, Jesus fucking Christ, Tom, I'm just trying to be like a supportive girlfriend while you're going through a hard thing. Like, what the fuck do you want from me? There is some really effective TV yelling here by B-Dunks. Like, frightening, explosive yelling that is like right in her face. Get the fuck out! He really has a hard time with accepting emotional support from his special person. And this is definitely a pattern at this point. Here's my advice, Tom. Let her in. (laughs) Let her comfort you. (laughs) Take it from me. On my dark night of the show, Rashan was there. We'd watch TV all night. Then again, Rashan was a creation of my own at that point, so <laughs> it's a little bit like I was self-comforting. In the early days, it was just a rubber pelvis <laughs> with holes. <laughs> While I was refining my technique. That was before I really considered myself an artist. (laughs) Does Kevin play on our show anymore? That was now two series ago. (laughs) Kevin lives! Kevin's never going to stop being one of our faves. Yeah. Wouldn't you know, uh, a bunch of yelling in her face finally drives BLT away, and that's exactly what Paris wants here. Yeah, he gets his alone time, and we cut over to the ass lab where Seven is... Scanning through the system's planets with Chakotay and the captain. I found it interesting that of the four of them, Chakotay was handling this by far the best. And I wondered if it was from having recovered from the experience he had with the Crady Beasts, etc. God, that's such a great alternative to my theory, which was just like, how many Cardis do you think you watch die as part of the Mayquees? Mayquees? <laughs> but... Like, both were war zones. He's a multiple war veteran. Yeah, he really is. Of, like, the psychic wars. You wrestled your trembles to rages, didn't you? I guess I did. One of them was a psychic war, and one of them was real, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting, because, you know, Neelix is a heap. Tom is now a heap. Harry's basically useless. Chakotay is, like, up and working and, like, trying to get to the bottom of this. Naomi Wildman, also useless. Yeah, she she was traumatized and she doesn't even have the memories yet. Yeah. We meet like a, a character that they encountered in their journey and we like scan through a couple of planets. Why do I love scenes like this? Like all I ever want to do on Star Trek or anywhere else is like I want to flip through file photos of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love this shit. Show me a picture of a weird alien. Show me a couple of pictures of planets. It's great. One thing I've really been loving about New Trek is that the resolution of the shows is so high that when you get a file photo of somebody on a pad, you can pause the TV and actually read some of the stuff. And it's really great. They always write amazing shit about the characters. There's a ton of effort put into that for nerds like us who, who pause and read. Yeah, it's so good. But a very eerie moment happens when they get to this one particular planet. The camera pushes in on Janeway, and she knows that this is planet Tarrakis. Yeah. There's coffee on Tarrakis. Go to Red Alert and set a course. All right, Captain. She gets a flashback of her own, and it looks like she's killed a lot of people, too. She did some bad things. No big fan of Savdra, either. Yeah, this is kind of in the aftermath. Savdra is 
has moved his weapon from kill to vaporize setting and is vaporizing a bunch of bodies, like already working on the cover-up before the massacre is even over. Yeah. And she's like horrified by the, you know, trying to stop evidence of the war crime from getting out thing that's happening. She wakes up and Neelix's restaurant is full of people remembering these war crimes. This isn't the first time this has happened, the whole mess hall as field hospital thing. But I think this might be the best it's ever been lit. Like, I really love the lighting coming out of the cooking area, shooting through that glass, and you're getting the shadows cast of the cooking implements back there. Yeah. And it also served to, like, ring light a bunch of the people in the scene as well. I thought it was just really cool and dark and and spooky. And it doesn't, it's not immediately clear what that stuff is in the background. You know, I think you you need a a few moments in the scene before you realize that this is the mess hall. So Mm -hmm. that cooking area just, you know, in soft focus behind the action of the scene gives it like this layer that kind of puts you off your footing and makes you kind of wonder where they are. Like, cause, cause we're no longer in the ass lab for sure. Yeah. But like, this doesn't look like six bay either. Neither is seven in the ass lab. She's been back there cooking a souffle yeah. for Neelix. And doing a bad job. The souffle has collapsed slightly, but its nutritional content is intact. Thank you. Neelix is just distraught about the incident with Naomi earlier and uh, that it might make it so that he never sees her again. And Neelix asks Seven about how she deals with her Borg's shame, because obviously she must feel a great amount of it being he gestures to her, you know, (laughs) Borg's or whatever. Any tips on how to sleep at night, Seven? (laughs) From someone who shouldn't be able to? I mean, she suggests dessert, but also she can live with it. Yeah, She's the pastry chef the ship deserves, but not the one it needs right now. <laughs> so he'll eat the souffle yeah. because he's sad. Very nice. <laughs> so Voyager arrives at Tarrakis, and I was surprised to see Paris at the helm. Like, he still has a job at this point, even though he's being gripped by this thing. And they discover that no other vessels are nearby, so they just go ahead and park into orbit. Yeah. And there's no one on the planet either. There's no sign of a fight. But Harry Kim does find a power source on the surface, and they go right to work, beaming a Dustbuster Club down there, and they are armed to the teeth. They're ready for this to be just as hot a battle as the one they're remembering because they really don't have great intel about what they're going to find down there. So this full Dustbuster Club heads down there. There's a weird cut to the transporter chief. Yeah, The camera lingers on her for like a weirdly long time. And I didn't recognize her. I thought maybe she was a contest winner. Like there was that kind of linger. <laughs> I had the same thought. Like, uh, yeah, like get on Star Trek Voyager yeah. contest. <laughs> How much work does Sunshine do in this transition? Because when they beam to the surface, it's sunny and bright and almost cheerful looking. And it looks like the Dustbuster Club stands out so much just for being, I mean, 
One thing we haven't talked about is the makeup department's work on this episode because everyone's just hanging bags under their eyes and looking yeah. disheveled and and put off. Like to get this version of the crew down there armed like they are in just a paradise, really. But looking so tired and and disheveled. Yeah. Yeah. And they also shoot everybody really close in these scenes. Like they're they're outdoors. Like they could be getting real beautiful vistas and wide shots that show the terrain. And they never do. Like the yeah. camera stays real tight to the people, which gives it this like, you know, claustrophobic feeling that's in total tension with what a beautiful day they shot it on. Yeah. Yeah. It's really something. They fan out to investigate and Kim and Tuvok are paired up and they're on a tunnel detail. Janeway and Chakotay are paired up where they've picked up something on her tricorder and, they're, and they make their way toward that. And Kim and Tuvok do find the cave along with Paris and there's a bunch of crawling on hands and knees. Like when I see a scene like this, I just think about the production and how yeah. as soon as you get a uniform dirty, like that is a big fucking problem. Like <laughs> he probably had one go at this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a tough scene. Like he is melting down in this crawl. This is exactly what he remembered. That like they didn't know if they were gonna find what they were remembering when they went on this mission and Mm -hmm. here he is like in the middle of the scariest part of the memory for him. Yeah. So scary that Tuvok has to try and teach him how to control his emotions. I I, I can't remain calm. Seems like maybe the last person you would want (laughs) teaching you how to do that. Yeah. Keep your fingers away from me, Tuvok. (laughs) (laughs) They come into the uh, wider part of the cave system and it's the same tea kettle, but it has extremely thick spider webs on it. <laughs> the spider is really like Peter Northing, these webs. That's how things that are old work, right? <laughs> like it's not just amount of spider webs, it's thickness. <laughs> A tasteful thickness, Abed. Oh my God. Yeah, and they find skeletons yeah. that correspond with the people that Harry remembers wasting. And uh, Tuvok scans him and he's like, hey, good news. You did not kill these people. Yeah. Someone else got it on. Someone else had to get it on. 300 years ago. Yeah. We cut over to Chakotay and Janeway and they found the source of the energy they were looking for. There's this big monument out in the middle of the field. And on top, there's there's a crackly orb. And Janeway scans the inscription on the walls and puts it all together. It's a monument to the war. This monument is here to, you know, make people experience a thing so that they won't ever let that thing happen again. And we kind of like smash cut right up to the ass lab where they're like deciphering all the glyphs on the side of it. And we get like the full explanation for what happened here. This monument has a synaptic transmitter inside of it that is glitching because it's so old and it made them all experience this because that's what it was designed to do. But like the memories are all fragmented because the power source is kind of, you know, nearing the end of its life. And Chakotay's like, great, well, we can just shut it down and go back on our way. Like, unfortunately, these memories are permanently in us, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? 
And this argument is so interesting among the people that it's affected most. They really do have different opinions about what to do about either destroying or ultimately repairing this monument. Yeah. And I think Neelix is the first one advocating for leaving it on. Like he's, you know, like Neelix has his own war trauma and he he's like, if the goal of this thing is to make people experience the horror and guilt that comes with committing an atrocity and thereby try to prevent future atrocities, then like who are we to unplug something that does that? I mean, it's not just about repairing the monument so it continues to function. Janeway also talks about leaving a warning point out there, which says something like, look, this is a well-produced show. It's it's professionally edited. It's got competent hosts, but it's not for everyone. Only enter the system if you've got the stomach for comic atrocities and wordplay torture. <laughs> That's what you're into. We'll place the warning buoy in orbit. Anyone who enters the system will know what to expect. A warning buoy. Yeah. Five stars. Yeah. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, Janeway agrees with Neelix, and they decide to repair it. We cut back down to the surface where they are, you know, putting gadgets on the surface of the stones and, you know, repairing it. They all still look pretty shitty. <laughs> yeah. They have not recovered, and it seems as though recovery will take a long time. Bit of a captain speech from Janeway saying, like, you know, we've done a good thing here today because the people who died in that massacre would have been forgotten otherwise. They beam back up to the ship, and uh, we just get some, like, loving camera pans of this monument before the end of the episode. Yeah. And it's, like, kind of the first really wide shots we get, right? Yeah. I guess there was a wide shot when they first find the monument, but like, I felt like suddenly the episode felt very open at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah. So, a uh, tough episode, pretty heavy-duty stuff, but did you like it? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time, but I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I really did. There's something at the end that I thought a lot about, though, which is like there's something that's supposed to feel noble and good in Janeway going, the Nakans were massacred here, and if they were alive, which they're definitely not, they would appreciate this gesture. Yeah. And like, on the one hand, I utterly agree, but on the other hand, you remember reading that, like, this is so insane, that Conan O'Brien said this, but like he said, eventually every grave goes untended. <laughs> Jesus. This is like a weird. Did he say that to like Pimp Bot or <laughs> yeah. Masturbating yeah. Bear? Or like which, in which context? It was a very serious uh, in the year 2000 sketch. <laughs> And it was like, what an unusual twist on that sensibility was that like... Did Triumph the Insult comic dog add for me to poop on at yeah. the end of him making that observation? This is a grave that tends itself, right? Yeah. Like it grabs you and makes you tend it. I guess so, yeah. What an unusual twist on that whole concept. Anyway, like that's just what that moment made me think. Yeah. I also really, really like any episode where we get the range of Neelix's behavior. And this was 
definitely that. Whenever he acts out, I find that just a real experience. And I mean, Ethan Phillips, whenever he's permitted to do that, I think does a really great job. And he's a minor character and he always has been, but like he feels major trauma. Yeah. Trauma worse maybe than any of the other characters involved. And I thought what he went through was really effective in helping to tell this story. So like great Neelix episode, I'd argue. Yeah. And kind of a fascinating Twilight Zone style science fiction episode that it's bolted to. That really interesting story, well told. I I liked it. What about you? I did too. I'm glad you brought up Neelix in particular because I think you know at my worst I am really brutally self-critical, and it's something that I've like worked a lot on in therapy, like how to not you know put myself on the grill mm-hmm. as often as I do. And yeah, you're already done. <laughs> You've been done. I tell you what. I think when Neelix is going through a thing, I can really see that aspect of myself in his character in a way that's like, it can be tough sometimes yeah. you know, to, to watch that because it's, you know, not something that is easy to have as a part of my own inner life. And it's hard to see in a character that I like, you know, making themselves suffer in a way that I make myself suffer. Yeah. And like, that's, I think the strength of this episode is that it, you know, like it starts with these four characters really going through it and then it starts spreading out into the rest of the ship. And I think they did a really good job making those experiences feel true to those particular characters. And I thought this was a good episode also in that it sort of could have felt like a brown zone kind of situation Exactly. And it really didn't. I kept sort of expecting it to start feeling more like that, and it didn't, so. Yeah, good job dodging the the direct comparison by this episode, for sure. Yeah, and I thought that um, B-Dunks and Harry Kim also just got a ton to do in this episode and in a way that it felt like it was a little overdue for them, so. Absolutely, especially Harry Kim. I feel like he hasn't had this much dialogue in half a season. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I thought a, a really strong and very interesting episode. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You want to see if there's anything strong or interesting in our Priority One inbox, Adam? Oh, or traumatic. Sometimes it's traumatic. Sometimes it's traumatic, you know? Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is of a promotional nature, Adam, and it goes like this. Despite traveling on spaceships, I can't remember anything about outer space. What is dark matter? Why do life forms need water? That's why I listen to Space Pod, a podcast where one Earth scientist talks to another Earth scientist about the latest space research. Wow, so this is like a space news show. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, one host is an astro professor. About half the guests are women. And the show 
is what you'd hear at a hotel bar during an astronomer conference, it says here. Wow. I would love to go to an astronomer bar. Yeah, that sounds rad. Yeah, that should be a thing. If you are curious about some real space science and not some bullshit made up Star Trek space science, give it a listen. You can go to listentospacepod.com or presumably find it in your podcatcher. How about that? Very unusual concept for a podcast. Good job. Yeah, it sounds like they probably don't mainly just lard it up with dick and fart jokes, which is an interesting concept. That's a strategy, I guess. (laughs) Ben, our second priority one message comes from Owen, and it is to Mom. That message goes like this. Mom, I'll never forget watching Star Trek with you on our little black and white TV while you cooked dinner for us. You gave me my love of Star Trek, and without that... I would never have found this stupid podcast. I love you and I miss you. And then parenthetically, it says, Adam and Ben, TGG got me through my mom's death. I can never repay you for that, but here's $100. Damn, Owen. Wow. I'm really sorry to hear about your mom's passing. That is really rough. But if this show was of any use to you in a tough time like that, that's always uh, nice for us to hear. Yeah, it always... It's the best feeling to know that what we do can help anyone with anything, especially something as heavy as this. So yeah, thanks for saying that, Owen. Our final P1 is from Stephanie, and it's to Gwen. It goes like this. Happy birthday, Gwen. If you're hearing this, it means you've taken a break from writing that novel. Celebratory row Larendrop. Love that for you, but when you get back to work, make sure to keep that handkerchief under your nose and keep writing. That's it. I'm sure it'll stop soon. So it sounds like uh, Gwen is constantly sneezing while yeah. writing this novel. <laughs> yeah. Gwen's congestion is a real problem. <laughs> Maybe it's just allergies. Yeah. You know, go go talk to an allergist or, uh, you know, a general practitioner. If you don't have an allergist. Yeah. Let's get to the bottom of this, Gwen. Good job taking the sick time, though. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Thanks to everyone who got a Priority One message today. A real wide variety of different types of P1s. If any of them was inspirational to you, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to set your own up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I think I'm going to give it to Harry Kim for just like not controlling his crankiness on the Delta Flyer mission. Yeah. Like you are 60 seconds from seeing the aft section of the ship out the front window and now you're boiling over and like yelling at people and making it clear how uncomfortable and unpleasant you find everything. Yeah. It's like... You made it that close to the end and you <laughs> and then you showed your ass like that? Just tuck it deep down. Yeah. For the rest of the trip and you're almost done. Yeah, that's hard to understand. It's like they're basically on the doorstep. Yeah. You don't have to risk a career limiting move like this. Like you and I have been on tours together where, you know, like We're getting toward the end of a leg and we're both fucking tired. And maybe like last night's show didn't go as well as we wanted to. Maybe we're in a cab with a couple of exploded tires. (laughs) 
Late to the airport. And one or the other of us is wrung out and like makes the other one aware of that. But it's never happened like at the baggage claim at the airport when we both are back in LAX, you know? Yeah. No, that's the worst time. (laughs) Try to end on a good note. Yeah. 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 So uh, for that reason, I'm making Harry Kim my drunk Shimoda. I'm going to make Savdra my drunk Shimoda for committing atrocities. (laughs) You shouldn't have done that, Savdra, and you shouldn't have destroyed the evidence. Yeah. Why did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the version of the drunk Shimoda that he earned. Just my bewilderment at his atrocities. It's incredible how little he thought about that. Incredible. (laughs) Good Shimoda, Adam. Let me tell you about the next episode. It's season six, episode 15. Tsunkatsi. Killing for sport becomes Seven's only means of survival when she is abducted into a ring of fisticuffs. Is this the rock episode? This is the episode with the rock. Oh, I'm so excited about this. Yeah. It's an episode that, if memory serves, happened because UPN was getting WWE and this was like a promotional crossover. Yeah, this is big fun. Big fun. I never watched Star Trek Voyager during its initial run, but I remember this preview playing on UPN all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. The Rock was and is a huge star. This is a huge get for them. Mm-hmm. Is this before or during his contract saying he can never lose a fight? <laughs> wow. I guess we're about to find out. Yeah. We're also about to find out how we will be doing this episode. Our runabout is currently on square 74. It looks like we could potentially hit an nth degree episode. That's the type of episode in which we do deep forensic research on the episode and and uh, share incredible facts about it that you know you may never have heard anywhere else yeah this is like we're not just going on memory alpha and learning one or two things about the production we're like finding out stuff that has never been revealed yeah on an entity i mean we're creating content for memory alpha in those episodes and you see it all the time yeah we're all over memory alpha people cite us as a as a primary source Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. So that's the only square I think we can hit. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Go ahead and roll this bone. Ooh, I rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Inching us forward, that nth degree is still in front of us, Adam. Wow. All right. What a tease. Big tease. Still available to us. Yeah. Honestly, a little bit glad because uh, as of this recording, you're about to go on a little vacation. We're not going to record next week. And I'm sure we would have forgotten that we'd rolled an nth degree if we yeah. <laughs> had to record. Also, with the way the game has been functioning lately, we could have gone anywhere on that roll. It's true. It's true. Well, that will be a regular episode next week, and I am perfectly happy with that. Hey, Adam. What? We got some people to thank. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer and editor. We got to thank the friends of DeSoto who make all this possible by going to maximumfun.org slash join. 
We got to thank everyone who leaves a great review wherever they listen to podcasts. Look, that's as important as anything else. It's true. We remain the most and best reviewed Star Trek podcast there is, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah. We really appreciate everybody that helps us maintain that status. That's really cool. Yeah. The friends of DeSoto do that. They gather in a bunch of places on social media using the hashtag GreatestGen. You can go to DrunkShimoda.com and join the Discord over there. That's a fun group. Yeah, man. Hey, if you haven't been watching these episodes on YouTube, you should. <laughs> We've got uh, the audio on YouTube for episodes, but also uh, like our Code 47 came out as a video on YouTube. You can see all the stuff we open. Yeah, it's great. Look at our faces. Look at our dumb, dumb faces. Thanks to Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thanks to Adam Ragusea, our buddy who makes all of our original music. Thanks to Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song. With that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager. An episode of the greatest generation Voyager that can smell what the rock is cooking. Did you just flash the people's eyebrow there? <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. You got it. Make it so. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.